Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thank you for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Isfine Jolly, co-founder and CEO of Open Sponsorship, a sports influencer marketing platform that's raised over $5 million in funding. Isfine, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So before we're going to talk about what you're building, can we start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Yep, absolutely. Who am I? Isfine Jolly. I grew up in England, uh, which is also where I live now. Grew up a kind of student athlete. I suppose sports defined me, but had two Indian doctor parents, so was also made to study hard, which is a good thing. Going to Oxford, studied economics, fast forward a few years, a few different, like went into consulting for a bit and then became a sports agent. And then I thought, well, if I'm going to piss off my parents once, let me do it twice. And I moved to India to become a sports agent. And that's kind of where I fell in love with sports marketing and sponsorship. What was that like being a sports agent? I think you're the first sports agent that uh, I've ever talked to. And of course, we've ever had on the podcast. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. So there are two types of agents. I think a lot of people think the traditional sense of an agent where you're a lawyer and you do the contracts. And then I suppose, especially in other parts of the world where you're playing for your country, I suppose, then, you know, the typical sports agent is more marketing endorsements on the field. And that's kind of where I fell in. And so I really enjoyed it. I repped a couple of athletes. I worked with teams and events and as I said, I think I just really enjoyed the art of marketing. And, you know, there's that MasterCard tagline, you know, priceless, like money can't buy experiences. And in a weird way, like sponsorship for me is that money can buy, but feels like can't buy experiences and seeing kind of brands and CEOs interact with athletes and their favorite teams is it's just amazing. Nice. I love that. Now let's talk about CEOs that you admire. So is there a specific one that comes to mind? And if so, who is it and what do you admire about them? <laughs> so I laugh because your prompt said it can't be Elon Musk. I so say we should probably <laughs> uh, dive into that. Is that because everyone says him or is that because you just don't like him? I love Elon Musk, but everyone was saying him or Jeff Bezos or like the obvious ones. So it's like, come on, tell us something different <laughs> here. And let's dig a little bit deeper than the you know obvious, great, successful entrepreneurs. Yeah, so I'll give you two, actually, if you don't mind. So I'll give you one, which is kind of more mainstream, which would be Brian Chesky, CEO of Airbnb. And I'd say, I think one thing is, is like, you know, obviously I'm a two-sided marketplace, our company, and they're very difficult to build and build in a way that is liked by everyone. You know, Uber's a need, but a lot of people don't like the brand or whatever else, but like Airbnb people absolutely well, I, I personally love the brand and love what it stands for and I love the product. So that's pretty amazing. So love him. And also, you know, if you hear his podcast and his journey when COVID happened and they had to do layoffs and how they did that, I, I feel like they're pretty good culture ways and how they think, but they're also innovative, which is just amazing and very product first. So really admire him. And then actually, first time, I suppose, this is being announced publicly, but we just added a new board member to our company, a friend of mine, a guy called Kartik, who ran a company called Connect. And so the fact that I asked him to be on the board was because, you know, he's someone 
who I know and I've seen his journey and I've always felt he was just a few years ahead of me and also because the way he passes on information is it's like bite size it's it's really easy to understand and implement and that's not always easy to do with kind of CEOs you admire. Mm, super interesting. Do you have an opinion on Ari Emanuel? Was Ari Emanuel relevant in the sports agenting world? You know, it's funny, I suppose. When I started the company, I've always, probably to a fault, always optimized or looked at tech founders because it's almost like, oh, I know the other side, which is, you know, I don't know everything about it, but it's almost like I knew nothing about tech and marketplaces, building supply, building demand, pricing models, fundraising. So in a way, and, and it's actually an interesting thing to think about, which is like, okay, where we are right now, I'm almost like, cool, I now need to think about how do I disrupt the next set of like things within sports or be compete with the biggest sports agencies. So maybe I will do some digging and let you know, Brett, what I think. Okay, sounds good. And what about books? Is there a specific book that's had a major impact on you? And this can be a you know, traditional classic business book or just a personal book that's really influenced how you view the world? Good question. I'll give you two again. So I think on a technical stance, probably a bit of a popular answer, The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. And it feels a little bit like a manual. And sometimes a lot of when you're a founder, like you need someone to be like, yep, this is normal. And you're like, oh, thank God. Like, yep, that's normal. Like, shit breaks, you know, and that's most of what you need, like a good book or a, a good, you know, it kind of teaches you, but it also makes you realize that like, you're okay. So that does that, like I could try and read that every few years. But then I recently went on my own little journey of, you know, we've been running this for a few years now and keeping up your own self-motivation and COVID and remote work and everything else. And I read Solve for Happy by Mo Gadat, and I think that was like really enlightening about how much you control your own happiness. And I think for a founder, like your own mental health is is probably one of the most important factors in the success of the company. Yeah, totally agree there. Are there any specific like tactical tips that you have on on how you ensure that you're feeling mentally healthy? Like, do you meditate? Do you work out? Like, do you have any yeah. you know, any habits specifically that have been super helpful for you? To be honest, all of it, like I do work out a lot. I try and meditate. I take my weekends off mostly. If I don't, then I know that I'm doing something wrong. I was actually thinking this the other day. I was like, I worked really late and I was like, I'm doing something wrong if I have to come back to work after dinner. And so kind of trying to strike a bit of a work-life balance, obviously, like, especially as a founder, like you even meet your friends, you're probably talking about work, you know, you have drinks with a random, you're probably talking about work or thinking about work, you're thinking about work in the shower. So, but that shouldn't mean that you're glued to your laptop, like something's wrong if you can't step away. Yep, absolutely agree. Now let's talk origin story. So I know you touched on it there a little bit with your personal journey, but what was so big about this opportunity with open sponsorship that you just said, let's do it, let's go all in and, and let's start a company? Yeah, so the sponsorship industry is $60 billion, but probably bigger now. I mean, that, it was five years ago when I started it and sports is 70% of that. So it's a huge, huge market. One, two, it's kind of like if you're in the know, you're in the know. And if you on the outside, you have no clue how it works. And so when I moved to America in twenty in January 2013, for a few years, I like, you know, I was on the outside and I had all this knowledge and of how to do these deals, but I didn't have connections. And I was a bit like, wait, this doesn't really make sense. Why do I need connections in an industry that is so big that should just kind of 
work. And I thought, well, if I'm having this, then maybe everyone else is too. And so kind of came up with this idea of like, essentially, hence my Brian Chesky reference, but like the Airbnb of sports sponsorship, literally like a place where any brand can go and say, okay, cool, what do I want to sponsor? Which athletes are available, teams, events, music, it could be podcasts, whatever it may be over time. And then on the flip side, if I believe I have an asset worth selling, then why why do I need to know someone? Why do I, you know, and we work with a lot of agents and I do love the agents, but the point being is like, why do I need that? Why can't I just go somewhere and there be an efficient marketplace for me to sell my rights? Mm, makes sense. And being that you're a marketplace, I'm sure that you face the challenge that all marketplaces face of the the chicken and the egg problem. So for you, what did you focus on first? And then how did you balance that out? Yeah, so we focused on the supply, the athletes first. One, because we didn't charge them. So I think it's always easier to onboard the side that you don't charge first. Secondly, because they have technically they have the greater need, right? Like sponsorship is a source of funding and revenue for them. And it kind of makes sense, right? Like, hey, sign up for free. If we get you a deal, you pay as a commission. If we don't, then, you know, you spend five minutes signing up to a website. And then we kind of waited till we had like a thousand. And then at that point, we were like, right, focus on the brands. And since that point, we've never really refocused on the supply unless we need it. And we're at, I think, 16,000 athletes now. Wow, that's amazing. And how many athletes are in that target market, roughly, would you say? Well, it's a good question because obviously with the NIL, you've just got like 500,000, so like <laughs> half a million. But in the pro space, I mean, to give you a sense, like we have about 80% of the NFL and the NBA. It's hard to say with Olympians because as you kind of said, like there's a lot of like amateur and then there's pro and whatever else. So um, gosh, I should know the answer to that, but I do. Yeah, no worries. And you mentioned NIL there. What is that? That was name, image, likeness or something like that? Is that correct? That was like the NCAA ruling? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So 2021 July, you know, the court overruled and the years long of tradition that student athletes couldn't make money on their own name, image, likeness. And literally overnight, everyone was able to go out and, and kind of make money. Now, that doesn't mean there is tons of money, but basically everyone is available for it. Did you see a huge uptick then in athletes that were interested in signing up with open sponsorship or did that not really have an impact because it's a different type of athlete? No, very much so. So athlete-wise, definitely a big uptick. The challenge is the brand side, right? Because brands don't want to get in trouble. What can they do? It's still a little bit murky. And there's just so many athletes to choose from. So that's kind of all been our challenge, which is like, how do we get brands to spend money on the college space? Which they do, but I'd still say the pro is bigger for us. Makes sense. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. Now, looking on the site, I see that I can go and work with LeBron James. I can work with Jake Paul. You have Shaq. Basically, all the goats of sports there, it looks like, or a lot of them there. So can you just talk me through that? You know, Let's say that I have a new footwear brand and I want to work with LeBron James. Like, What would that look like? What's that journey like for me to you know, engage with his team and you know, work on a program or work on a campaign and then see how the campaign does? What does that all look like from start to finish? Yeah, absolutely. So of our 
I think, what, 16,000 athletes. About half are signed up by agents. So obviously a lot of the guys June mentioned, like you said, it's their team, their agents that have signed them up. And then a lot of the smaller athletes, you know, your lacrosse, your Olympians, et cetera, college athletes are signed up themselves. So you'd sign up, Brett, as a footwear company, you kind of go through our onboarding. We show you some recommendations based on your Instagram handle, which is pretty sick, a, a cool feature we just added. And then you've really got two options. Either you could turn around, you see Shaq's a million dollars. If you have it, you could send them a proposal, a bit like a job offer. But mostly what our brands tend to do is put up a campaign, a bit like a job posting and say, you know, hey, you're looking for athletes who don't have a footwear deal already, our budgets, you know, five, 10K, whatever, $500, whatever it may be. We're looking for you to do social media or photo shoot appearances, whatever. And then basically our athletes and agents will come and apply to you. So I, I really like our functionality to a recruitment site. And that makes a lot of sense. And can you share any examples of brands that are using the platform today and then just describe you know, any of those benefits that you've seen brands experience from influencer marketing with athletes? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've worked with everyone from like a Walmart and what they love is that their influencer marketing programs skew pretty female. As you can imagine, right? Like the original influencer and especially the Walmart influencer is like a beauty blogger, a fashion blogger, that kind of thing, mommy blogger. And so when they thought about appealing to their male demographic, they're like, wait, we're kind of missing hitting that demographic at all with our influencer program. And so they loved us fulfilling that gap. So, you know, that's kind of the thing there, which is like the awareness and the reach to the male demographic. We do a lot of work with FanJewel, the betting company. And for them, a lot of the stuff is around like last minute, like a lot of brands, especially today, you know, you might come to the end of the quarter, you've got a bit of spare budget and you're like, cool, I need to spend it. I want to spend it. There's not many places where you can go in and literally do a deal within like five days and and we do that for you. So I'd say that's kind of key. And then content is huge. So gosh, loads of Levi's, like loads of brands, smaller companies as well. For them, as I'm sure you know, like UGC is expensive right? Even if you're making it internally, it, it's expensive. It can often be off the mark. You need a lot of it. You want to be able to repurpose it. And so I'd say for a lot of brands, we're like a cheap UGC channel. Essentially, they get the athletes to create reels and then they can use them in their paid social ads and things like that. Super interesting. And, and that makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure it varies from organization to organization and, and probably depends a lot on the the size. But what team is typically working with you? Is that the influencer marketing team or what What subset of marketing is that? Yeah, great question. So the core one would be the influencer marketing team. If you have that, that's who you're working with. The beauty of sponsorship and athlete marketing is honestly, like, especially when I look at agencies, it could be the PR team, right? Like PR agencies are always looking for earned media. The best way to do get earned media, if you have a story to tell, so I don't know whether you mentioned it in our background, but you know, one of our investors is Serena Williams. It was the best way we got press last year was talking about her as an investor. And so it made my PR agency's job way easier than anything else I could have done. And so I think PR agencies benefit a lot. Affiliate is really interesting. That kind of the merge of affiliate and influencer is happening quite steadily. You know, affiliates getting a little bit of budget and whatever else. And the micro influencer kind of sits quite nicely there. It could even be other channels like social, paid social, but like we talked about, like they need content to put 
into their ads and so they might come to us so influencer is the typical one but the beauty of what we do is and that's kind of my ethos with sponsorship is sponsorship used to sit in its silo it has its own conferences it has its own title its own agencies and it's like why like athletes should be kind of present across the whole organization and definitely across the whole marketing mix and just because i i finished the movie about serena williams and her sister i I have to dig a little deeper on that Mm -hmm. so what was that like getting Serena Williams as an investor? That must be uh, incredibly exciting. Yeah, amazing. I mean, it's, you know, obviously personally for me, it's amazing for my co-founder. He doesn't usually like get excited about investor calls or our investor base, but like that was special, really special for him. And then we had a company offsite and she zoomed in. This was kind of just post-COVID and she zoomed in and that's so amazing for everyone in that room, right, to have her talk to them and and motivate us all. So yeah, she's been epic. Yeah, that's amazing. Now, what's the status quo look like? So if we just look at the competitive landscape, I would have to imagine there's probably some disruptors trying to come in and and apply technology to solve this. But what's the status quo really look like? What's being disrupted here? Yeah, great question. So I'd say it's interesting because similar to, I'd say probably like Airbnb, where they kind of they disrupt the hotel market at the top end, but you couldn't really ever previously buy a room for like $50 anywhere. And so on the smaller athlete side, I'd say there was no status quo. That's almost why influencer marketing has become, the industry has become because sponsorship was the high end and influencer marketing was like the mid to low and now they've obviously converged. So bottom end, no one. That high end, definitely we compete with agencies and existing relationships. So, you know, hey, if I want to do a deal with LeBron James, I probably got enough money to know his agent directly. So that's kind of our issue. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And is there a North Star metric that you really look at? Is it number of athletes that are signed up? Is it the sponsorship money that passes through the platform? Is there a North Star metric and are you able to share you know, what that is or just any other metrics that demonstrate the growth that you're seeing? I would say that actually revenue, like as a startup, what we really care about is like overall revenue. Now we break our revenue into two. So one is marketplace. So we take a commission on the deal from the athlete and then one is subscription that we charge our brands for a membership. But I would say, Brett, like, look, we've gone through COVID, we've gone through budgets getting slashed, we've gone through, are we in a recession? Are we not in a recession? And so I think it's really, really important to be super flexible with business model and pricing models. And even like when you you work with enterprises and, and you know, and as you said, kind of different teams, influencer marketing allocates money very differently than true sponsorship salespeople. And so we really optimize for revenue. I mean, we have a plan within it but we're quite flexible as to how we see success so that we don't lose out on deal flow. Makes a lot of sense. And if we had to pick out one challenge, and I'm sure there's been a number of challenges that you face, like all founders face, but if we had to pick one go-to-market challenge that you faced and overcame, what's that challenge and how'd you overcome it? You face challenges like all the time. I think it's just the nature of running a startup. So I'd say growth generally just brings a lot of challenges, but I think Hiring is definitely a tough one, whether it's, hey, we used to be in a really tough market to hire and, you know, salaries were way too high or now where like there's a lot of people on the job market and I want to hire a lot, but we get warned 
to be vigilant about hiring and spending. And so, and then even kind of, you know, the culture fit of someone in a remote environment is different. You know, the kind of personality that works in a remote environment is different to in person. So we had to think about changes there. And then obviously as you expand teams, right, engineering personalities are very different to sales personalities, but how do you create a unified culture? So I feel like people, obviously as an organization, people make everything go and run and successful. So that's something I'm constantly thinking about to overcome it. I read, I seek a lot of advice. I speak to my manager team a lot. We do reviews. I lean on my HR manager hugely, constantly evolving that. Mm, Makes a lot of sense and can definitely see that. Now, last question here for you. Let's zoom out into the future. Three years from today, what's the company look like? I would love for us to raise another round, at least one by then. So that's financials. I'd love for us to be bigger across the org. Like I love the teams that we have, like marketing and sales and account management. I just love every team to be bigger and everyone to have moved up. Globally, I would have loved for us to have cracked that. Added more than just athletes. We're already working with teams, events, music artists. Obviously, we're doing college esports. So just like loads more supply, more functionality, the product being super amazing, even more so. So I'd say kind of the same, but bigger and better. Amazing. I love it. Well, we are up on time here, so we're going to have to wrap. Before we do, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, go to Open Sponsorship and check out the website. We'd love to to have you there and kind of give us your feedback and whatever else. And then, you know, for me personally, LinkedIn's probably the best one. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story and talking about everything that you're building. This is all super exciting and look forward to seeing you execute on this vision. Thanks, Brett. All right, keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.